Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and the writing process. Today's guest is a writer for NBA.com's HoopMag, the co-host of the Hot Takes and Shot Fakes podcast, and a newly minted contributor for Perform Media via NBA Canada. It's Josh Aberly. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm uh, happy to be making an appearance. Yeah, man, I'm excited to get you on. Uh, this is the first time we've actually talked, is, I guess if you want to call it in person, over a <laughs> Skype line. So that's pretty neat because I've known you via Twitter for quite a while now. Um, definitely one of the good guys. And uh, it's really cool to uh, to see you, uh, your name on NBA uh, Canada, the NBA.ca website. Um, how does that feel? Uh, it's 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 pretty surreal. Like it's it's a pretty cool feeling, uh, especially coming up in Alberta, being nowhere near an NBA market, knowing absolutely no one that had anything to do with the NBA when I started. You know, trying to to make my way through this very messy industry, and I mean, it's just cool. It's just cool that Canada cares enough to to have that site ramped up and for them to be freelancing people out and adding contributors and full time staff and then and be part of that. I mean. Honestly, I'm kind of struggling for the words because it's very, very cool. Yeah, definitely neat. Does it feel any different than writing for HoopMag? Um, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, Hoop being an NBA property, it, it, it still is, even three years in for them, every time I get to publish something, especially when the magazine comes around, um, is, is also very cool. But just I think the Canada connection for me was sort of validating in a way because like, for my whole life I've been trying to convince – you know, members of the Canadian sports media, and I know that you and, and Mark Griffin and, and Phil and Phil Below, uh, Justin Rowe, and there's a bunch of us who have really felt like basketball has grown and there's a, there's a lot of interest for it here in Canada. But to be, you know, connected with a Canadian platform covering basketball, um, it's just, it, it's, an, it's another level. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm loving the way basketball is growing in Canada to the point where, like, they have um, a couple leagues now. There was another grassroots organization that just kind of started up recently. I keep forgetting the name of it, but there's another one. Like, there's all these like random leagues now that keep popping up, um, which is kind of neat. And I think that's largely attributed to, you know, the Raptors' success in recent years and um, national teams and all this stuff. So yeah, that's that's really exciting. Does this mean we're gonna get uh, more Raptors content from you? Yeah, I think I think they'll definitely be uh, a little bit more focused from me on, on, on the Raptors and then um, Canadian players in the NBA. So I'm going to work my way into as much Nuggets content as I can with Jamal Murray, oh, yeah. uh, the, the Wolves with Wiggins, obviously, and then and then we'll move around probably those three um, on a lot of assignments. But I'm still going to have some, some freedom like I do at Hoop to do the things that I like to do, which is you know hypotheticals, conversational pieces, looking at the numbers, looking at um, – X's performance this year rather than prior years and trying to get people talking on social. Nice. Yeah, give me all that Jamal Murray content. I love Jamal Murray, <laughs> man. I'm all in on him. Um, Dylan Brooks, too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so specifically today, um, obviously I wanted to talk to you about your first piece that you wrote for uh, NBA Canada. It's pretty neat. Um, the title is, with LeBron James gone, the race to the top of the Eastern Conference is now wide open. Very topical as we head into preseason. Uh, games started just last night, and uh, basketball's back. Man, it feels good. Um, yeah, so LeBron James is gone, obviously, out of the East, uh, which means there's going to be a new team coming out of the East come the finals. 
which I think in itself is going to feel kind of weird. Um, LeBron's been going to the finals for so long, eight straight seasons. Uh, just one of the most tremendous runs uh, I've ever seen. I think anyone's obviously ever seen. It's incredible what he was able to do. And now he's, you know, in the West with the Lakers. Um, I think it's going to be nice to see a bit of a change, though, coming out of the East. I mean, it's going to be weird. I think it, you know, the first little bit is going to be weird, like not having LeBron in the finals. Sorry, Lakers fans. Um, but at the same time, like, it might be kind of a, a breath of a fresh air to see another team there. But uh, I just want to get your quick thoughts on the Lakers. Like, how do you feel about that team with LeBron over there now? I, I'm not really certain about about much with them. Um, and, I mean, I, I guess it's not uncommon for people to have really strong opinions about things right off the hop. Mm-hmm. But people seem to be really sure that they're, you know, either going to be the second-best team in the West regardless of standing um, come the playoffs or they're, you know, going to disappoint and, and maybe miss the playoffs or be an eight seed. And, and I'm, I'm just not really sure. Like, I, I think that LeBron is being asked to play a role he hasn't played, um, to play positions he's asked not to play in the past. Uh, he's playing with, with players who normally have not been put around him and have not been sex, successful around him in the way that he played previously. Uh, you know, there's a lot of banking on growth with, with Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball and Josh Hart and, and Kyle Kuzma. And so I, I just think there's a lot here that that we just don't know. And I, I can't say with certainty how this is going to look and how these guys are going to jump. And I think it's premature to paint them one way or the other. I, I do worry, though, you know, like the Braun teams in the past, um, they have this this period of, of disinterest or. Uh, you know, it's highlighted by a lack of effort and commitment from the team. And I just don't think you get away with a 20 to 30 game slip in the Western Conference like you do in the East. You know, OK, LeBron's going to go to Miami and recharge his batteries. OK, they're going to have a players meeting. OK, they're going to make a midseason trade. Like if, if you sleep for even 15, 20 games in the Western Conference, that could bump you out of home court advantage. That could bump you out of the playoffs. So I do think if, if I was putting them, I would have them closer to six, seven going into the playoffs than, than the two, three. But uh, a lot of questions there. Yeah, I think I have them pegged. I think I decided um, around the sixth seed myself, um, and that's sort of like probably a, a best case scenario. I don't know. I mean, I'm just sitting here hoping that there's gonna be a garbage time lineup of uh, McGee and Beasley and Stevenson all at the same time, because um, that would be hilarious. Uh, but yeah, like I don't know. That team is such a weird hodgepodge of. Um, Obviously, LeBron James, the best player in the game, and then a bunch of young guys with potential, and um, a bunch of veterans who just kind of are on one-year deals and have certain skills and, you know, aren't necessarily all considered uh, fantastic role players, but they have something they can bring, so I don't know. It's weird. And then the discussion with Rondo uh, potentially starting over Ball, which... Um, I've heard a couple different things that that's attributed to Ball coming back from injury and then some sources saying that maybe not necessarily, maybe Rondo is just going to start. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. They have some things to figure out over there, but I, I, they'll be interesting to keep an eye on for sure. Um, so heading back to the Eastern Conference, uh, the first team you mentioned in this list, sort of like um, a bit of a preview of the top teams in the East, uh, is Boston. And the team that's probably spent the most time on here. And, um, you know, they just played a game last night uh, against Charlotte. And they lost, which is funny. But it doesn't matter because it's preseason. 
Um, I thought Hayward looked a little rusty last night, which is to be expected. Um, you know, coming back, haven't played for like a full year. I thought Kyrie looked pretty good. Um, looks like the Celtics are aiming to take more threes this season, even though they had um, immense trouble knocking them down last night. Um, they did take a lot of tough shots as well. Um, but their issue last season mainly was offense, uh, offensively, um, especially in the half court. And, you know, getting it. They're, they're good in transition, for sure, when they get a run and they get off stops, and, and that really helps them out. But they've always been... Uh, this group has been dif- uh, has had a difficult time in the half court offense. Um, so, how do you see this team faring this season in general, and uh, what do you think that offense is going to look like? I, I think <clears throat> with Boston, there's too many things in place for me to even speculate on catastrophe. You know what I mean? And honestly, like I, the piece was structured in a way, and I, I won't. You know, we'll probably get to that based on how your podcast have gone previously, but. Um, Boston feels like the least risky of teams in, in the top of the Eastern Conference. Like mm-hmm. they have a coach, they have a system. It's worked. They overachieved despite talent not being there last year. I agree. Hayward looked rusty. Tatum didn't really look on at all last night, but Jalen Brown looked good. And it, the core that they have there, with Kyrie being able to create offense instantly, and you know Horford making the smart plays that he does, whether it's moving the ball or setting a screen. I think their half-court offense will look a lot better this year with Kyrie and Hayward there full-time than it did last year. But at the same time, uh, I still think this team is going to need to figure out how a growing Jalen Brown fits and how a growing Jason Tatum fits. And, you know, Terry Rozier played so well last year. Like, how does he get involved and have his minutes? And, you know, at what time do we want Kyrie to try and create something out of nothing? And what time do we want him to stick to the plan? And, so, I mean, they're, they're going to have the kinks to work out like everybody else, but I just think that this core is so well-established and they're so deep, you know, one to nine, that there's not a lot that could go wrong for these guys shy of injury. Yeah, and I think a big part of this is just, like, how defensively versatile they are um, and just, you know, they, they have a defense that last season was fantastic, one of the best defenses in the league, um, and that's, you know, even in the preseason game last night, you can see that. Um, it's going to be the same this year. Like they just got a glut of defensive players. So many um, guys that are great uh, defensively. It's you know it's going to be really really hard to score on that team. Um, so even on the nights where you know um, like last season, obviously with their injuries, um, they relied even more on their defense, and it won them a lot of games. Um, they came back from a lot of deficits, especially after halftime, um, and pulled some games out that way. So. You know that I think that's going to be consistent, and I think that's still going to be their calling card. But uh, definitely Kyrie and Hayward and Horford and those guys, especially in you know Tatum another year in, um, I think the offense will definitely be better this season. Um, but it's just going to be interesting to see exactly how they go about uh, implementing their weapons that way. Um, you mentioned the too much talent problem that they've got in the piece, which is obviously the best kind of problem to have in the NBA. Um, so, like, last night they started Kyrie and Hayward and uh, Brown and Tatum and Horford. Um, do you think Tatum, or do you think Stevens is going to experiment more with the starting lineup, or do you think he's going to stick with something like this for the majority of the season? I, I, I think it's going to be hard to deviate from this. Like, I think, you know, talent-wise, ego-wise, money-wise, this is the five you should start. But that said, I think he might go the Steve Kerr route where he runs, you know, Tatum or Hayward primarily with the subs. Like, you know, they're a token starter. They're in there for a few minutes and then they run the second unit. I could see that with Hayward. We got a glimpse of that last night. Um, 
You know, it, it is the best. It is the best problem to have. I mean, you know, what if Terry Rozier is not happy in his role? Or what if Tatum wants more shots? Or, like, what if Kyrie derails the offense by trying to do what he does? Like, I mean, these are these are the things that you say about teams that are in contention because there's not a lot else to talk about. Um, I, I, I think that this is what they're going to go with, and I think it's going to work. But that being said, that doesn't mean, like, come the playoffs, that they won't change. Like, semi Ojale, obviously – very good defensively for them last year on small samples. Um, when, when guarding LeBron James and, and Giannis last year in the playoffs, different series, obviously, uh, they were almost 50% each less likely to shoot the ball uh, statistically. So maybe they move him in come up, come the playoffs series. You know, maybe um, Brown looks better coming off the bench and filling in for Tatum or Hayward, and, and they play Rozier or Smart come the playoffs series. I think this is the lineup that will see the most minutes and start the most games. But that being said, they do have the possibilities of being to be flexible. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're closer, if you want to call them this way, I guess, closer to traditional bigs. I mean, most of their bigs can also stretch the floor. Even Aaron Baines last night hitting threes. I've seen him hit some threes before. Um, but guys like Baines and Tice and Morris and Ojale um, were all coming off the bench. Um, Morris was started for them last season at the four. Um, but, you know, I, I agree. I think it makes sense to go small and young, um, especially with the season Tatum had last year. Um, if you want to call it sort of a reward by keeping him in the starting lineup, then, like, I think that's fine, like, and it makes sense, and you want to keep having him grow. And, I mean, he's also a big dude. I think some people, like, I mean, there was, like, a photo from Media Day. He looked like he was about as tall as Horford. And Horford's maybe a little undersized for a center, um, more of a now small ball center, but, I mean, he still looks like... I mean, he's a young guy. He's maybe still growing, but he looks like he's got to be around like six ten, right? Yeah, and I, you know, I, I think like Horford or Tatum came in listed listed at six eight, and I think he's taller than that. And I think Horford's been listed at six ten or six eleven for forever, but I think he's shorter than that. So I, I would not be surprised at all if they're about the same height, looking eye to eye. Yeah, I think Horford's. I always thought of him as around six nine, um, but yeah. So um, yeah, I think that in that lineup makes sense. Um, Tatum at the four. It's interesting. I, I'm always looking at the parallels as uh, a Raptors guy myself uh, between the Celtics and Raptors and just the notion of, you know, um, them playing Tatum at the four and then the Raptors with OG at the four, that idea. Um, it's sort of an interesting, um, a bit of a mirror perspective just because they have two young guys who are really great defensively. Um, as things stand right now, obviously Tatum offers more offensively, but I just think that's an interesting uh just an interesting way that both of those teams kind of sort of roll out their lineups. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, um, they can obviously adjust, like you mentioned. If if uh, there's an opponent who demands it and somebody need to throw in more size, they need to throw in um, a more traditional big, they can do that. So they can switch it up. Um, they're a very, very versatile team, very deep. Uh, so, yeah, man, they're, they're going to be really good. Um, the Toronto Raptors... They play a basketball game tonight, and uh, Kawhi Leonard's going to be on the floor in a Toronto Raptors jersey. It's uh, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I I, I I'm excited. I like I I bought a Kawhi Leonard jersey the day of. I was that excited. <laughs> it, um, it was it was actually surprising. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I was genuinely caught off guard by how many. Of my friends and people who know me and know that I'm, you know, all about basketball, that were texting me and messaging me on Facebook and DMing me. And oh man, did 
Toronto just got hosed. Like, who is this guy? He could just leave and, you know, like DeRozan's our guy and he did so much for the team and he's a superstar and like, is Kawhi even better than him and all of this stuff? And I was like, I, I don't know. I felt like Kawhi's agent. I'm like, yes, he's better than him. He's, <laughs> he's, he's a lot better than him. Like, if, yeah. if this works out, I, and I mean, whether it's one year or beyond, like, I can't really speak to that. But if if he's focused and healthy, he's, you know, a 9 out of 10 at, at both ends. And, and Toronto's never had a 9 out of 10 at either end. So um, just to have a guy, I mean, Toronto's one of four franchises in the NBA that's never had a player get a first place MVP vote. This is a guy who could win the MVP award. You know, uh, Toronto's never had a guy win defensive player of the year. This guy could win defensive player of the year. Like it's going to be exciting to see him be there. I'm going to try not to overreact. Um, I'm sure most people will first miss first hit, you know, one way or the other, you're going to get commentary that he's back or he's going to be the MVP or he's terrible. Or if he doesn't smile, he's leaving. And I'm going to try to drown that all out, but it's exciting to get Raptors basketball back. Um, I'm excited for Canadians. My my fandom to the Raptors has always been tied to Canadian interest. Like I feel, I'm not really a Raptors fan, but when the Raptors are good, uh, Canadians are more interested in basketball. So in that way, I've always pulled for them, and I think on paper this is the best team they've ever had. So hopefully they get things started off right tonight. Yeah, definitely. And you know it's funny, um, <laughs> and and in a bit of a weird way, kind of annoying, but. Um, Kawhi's actually, he's been smiling a lot since he got to Toronto, and like every time he smiles, I swear somebody needs to take a photo of it and post it, but um, because of that, it's sort of shifted to focus on Kyle Lowry, and just, you know, Kyle Lowry's unhappy, and Kyle Lowry's gonna ruin things for the Raptors, and he's gonna demand a trade, and blah blah, it's like, uh, I don't know uh, what Kyle Lowry people have been watching for the, you know, the entirety of his career, especially since, you know, he's been in Toronto, but like, Kyle Lowry's never been a super media-friendly guy. Um, so all this talk about him. And, you know, and he came to media, like he said he was going to um, yesterday, and uh, seemed fine, had a good conversation with them. Um, DeRozan used to handle a lot of that burden when he was around, and now he's not. And, I mean, that's going to be an adjustment for Lowry because Leonard's not a big media guy either. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just there's a lot of like adjusting to go on. It's preseason, it's training camp, you know. Like this is this is a normal thing. Um, I I just I just don't think it's weird, but I, uh, that Lowry's acting this way, but it's kind of the way he always has. But I do think the conversation about it is a little tiring. So I am excited to just get the ball rolling and have the Raptors play an actual basketball game. Yeah, I I you know I definitely wasn't hitting the panic button on Lowry, but I did feel like there's going to be a growing curve. Like before he came to Toronto, he was known as a difficult character. He had that rep in yeah. Memphis and in Houston. Um, he is prickly. I mean, if you if you watch a lot of his press interactions and you see a lot of the things that he says, he's been prickly and remains prickly with the media a lot of the time. Um, that's not out of the ordinary, but you know you, you just you see the way he carries himself sometimes and, and the history. And then obviously the report comes out that he was dodging calls from the front office and the coaching staff. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was obviously upset that his friend got dealt. So like, I understand that people are worried about it. But at the end of the day, this guy's getting paid an awful lot of money by the Toronto Raptors to come play basketball. Uh, he's the remaining pillar of this team's most successful era of basketball. And I think he's going to be a professional. He's going to show up. And I don't think that there was any real worry that he was going to, you know, request a trade or something to that extent. That being said, you know, I mean, it might be bumpy at the start. Like maybe him and, and Kawhi Leonard need to take some time and, and feel each other out. And maybe they're not ever best friends and they just play basketball together like Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant did. Or, 
you know, like any other number of stars, and that's fine too. But uh, yeah, I think people, as you said, were kind of they switched gears and they were maybe overestimating uh, some the lack of grins. Yeah, definitely. Um, I yeah, I really just can't. I can't wait to get the ball rolling. I agree, though. I do think there is going to be a bit of a learning curve, um, and that both guys, um, you know, they're going to need to take a little bit of time to get used to playing with each other. Uh, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, how many wins do you think Toronto gets this season? Do they finish above Boston? Do they finish below Boston? Um, I think one of the things that people don't talk about enough is the fact that um, DeRozan's an Iron Man type player. Um, you're going to get what you get from him every night of the season. Uh, Kawhi's never been that kind of player, even when he's had you know his um, healthy years, relatively healthy years. Um, he's played usually somewhere in the 60s amount of games for the season, and obviously we know um, what's happened recently with the injury and all that stuff. So uh, I don't expect him to play a full season, um, and I wonder if the Raptors will drop some of those games. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I, I do still think they're a 60-win team. Um, I think Boston's you know around the same kind of area. Uh, so what do you think? Um, how many wins does Toronto get? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to take the the under there. I think what was there? I think their over under this year was what 57 and a half. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, I think I'll take the under. I think 53 to 55 feels about right. I do think there's going to be a learning curve, uh, not only with Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard, but with Nick Nurse. Um, I think. At the top of that rotation with, with OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Serge Ibaka, and JV, there's going to be some you know maneuvering and wiggling around and trying to get things right. And I do think Lowry probably misses some time and Kawhi probably misses some time. And, um, you know, I, I think this team's going to be very good. And, and at the end, of, they're absolutely capable of going to the NBA Finals this year. Like, just put that on the record. But there, you know, with the bumps and, and there are more things that could go wrong for Toronto than there are for Boston. I think, you know, 53 to 55 two seed is, is, is where I'd have them right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I'm looking at Toronto and Boston as 1A, 1B in the Eastern Conference. So I could see that. I could see that happening. There's a lot of different scenarios for both teams, although I think, um, you know, kind of realistic worst case scenarios, they're still both just really good. Just maybe not, um, they don't rack up quite as many wins as people think they might. So, yeah, um, I think they're still going to be at the top, and that sounds realistic to me. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks were next in your piece. Um, they didn't do a ton this summer, but they brought in Coach Bud, which I think was the biggest um, change for them, and uh, Brooke Lopez as well. Um, right now, I have them fourth in my preseason Eastern Conference Power Rankings. Uh, I think some people think maybe that's a little high. I understand if you want to put Indiana above them. Uh, that's cool. I totally get that. Um, but I think, you know, they have a, they have a solid club, better coach this season. They have a really great star in Giannis. Um, I think a lot of that stuff will mesh this season and better. Uh, maybe not right away, but as the season goes on, I mean, Bud's a good coach. Um, do you think that that change, the coaching change specifically is really going to rocket them to the next level? Um, yeah, I do. I, I, I really do. I think this team is going to be the three seed over Philadelphia. Ooh. I think this is going to be a very, very good team. You know, Coach Bud, like Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta, second year there, 60-win team, four All-Stars, including Kyle Korver and Jeff Teague. Um, what's Teague doing right now, honestly? Like Paul Millsap, <laughs> a good player, was hurt. I'm not going to try to bang on him right now. Al Horford's obviously a good player. Like there was talent there, don't get me wrong. 
But Giannis is in another tier that all of those guys can only look up to. And and honestly, like the Jason Kidd, the Joe Prunty-led Bucks teams, it's like Giannis is a Ferrari, and they were kicking the bottom of the car out to Flintstone that thing. <laughs> you know, Bud's going to get there. He's going to see Giannis like, wow, why were we in the bottom third for pace last year? Yeah. Let's pick it up. Uh, you know, like Chris Middleton is going to be a first-time All-Star this year. Mm. Like Chris Middleton gave the Celtics – hell last year mm-hmm. like they couldn't stop him he shot like 60 something percent in that first round of the playoffs i think there's enough talent there where i, I know that there's the lack of uh, of a splashy signing although i do think brooke lopez taking minutes away from john henson and don maker at this point um it's probably a pretty big plus but uh just him him getting in there implementing a system empowering these guys letting them run a little bit more Having Malcolm Brogdon be healthy, uh, Eric Bledsoe with a full year to adjust. I think this team's going to be really good. I I, I think probably 50 wins. Like I, I think they're going to be the three seed, 50, okay. 51. Um, and maybe I'm a little bit high on them, and maybe I'm going to get burned. But you know, Giannis, Giannis is special, and I, I I just think this is the year that with this coaching staff that they make that jump. Yeah, they definitely had a lot of. Um, kinks to their system last year, obviously, and uh, I agree with you. There's some specific things that are like that were kind of weird, like the, the pace, and um, they weren't really creative offensively. Even though they they still had a top ten offense, pretty much because Giannis is like super long and has stretch Armstrong arms and uh, just able to score almost whenever he wants. Um, their defense, though, nineteenth in the league, uh, not good. That's that's something that's going to have to be changed. And they have some pretty good defensive players. You know, um, Giannis is good. Middleton's good. Bledsoe's good. Um, he had a bit of a rough year last year, but I'm I'm expecting Bledsoe to hopefully bounce back this year. Um, yeah, I mean, this is stuff that uh, you can fix. You know, with the current roster. So I'm 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 thinking. You know, Bud's a good coach. I I, I agree with you. I think I think they're going to be much better this season. Um, I do think. Uh, I mean. Their spacing is still going to be a bit of an issue. I guess you mentioned um, that you know Lopez; he can space the floor a bit more than some of those other guys. Um, that might be interesting. Um, and and um, also, I mean, they they drafted a guy in Dante DiVincenzo, who's going to mm-hmm. come and shoot for them. I don't know how much he's going to contribute as rookie. And Ursan Ilyasova, who's who's kind of getting missed. Oh yeah, right. along with Marco Bellinelli, like I, the Sixers don't play as well as they do to close the year. I don't have the numbers with me, but. Their yeah. offense and defense were improved with Ursan and Marco. Like the spacing around Ben Simmons mm-hmm. um, when those two guys got there really changed things. So I, I think Ursan Ilyasova is quietly another strong addition. Yeah, I almost forgot about Ilyasova. Yeah, that is that's true. That's a great addition. Um, any anybody you can get to space the floor around Giannis is going to help a lot. Um, so I think that's going to be awesome. I, I would love a first round. Um, you have them at the third right now. I would really like a four or five first round matchup with the Pacers with them. I think that'd be really fun. Um, but yeah, uh, so you like them a little bit over Philadelphia. Um, that kind of helps us transition into the Sixers. Um, but what's the reason there? Is it more about the Bucks or is it more about the concerns about with Philadelphia? Um, both. So, you know, like I'm, I'm already predicting the jump for Milwaukee, but Philadelphia is the most chaotic of the top four teams. 
Yeah. Like Ben Simmons still not being able to shoot a three is going to be something. You know, like teams are going to adjust. Not being able to shoot from the point of attack in today's NBA, it's a crutch. And he's going to be a tremendous player either way. And I'm not saying he's doomed and he's still young. But, you know, until that gets fixed, you know, there's a question mark there. And, you know, Boston effectively made him a non-factor in a playoff series because of it. So that's still an issue. You know, Joel Embiid's heat help. Um, you know, I, I it, it to me, it's going to be a dice roll every year for the rest of his career. And I, I wish him best, the best, and I hope he's healthy. But I still worry about Joel Embiid's health. And honestly, and I'm cynical and people are going to hate that I say this, but I don't think Ben Simmons nor Joel Embiid play their best basketball together. Um, I don't. I think Ben Simmons is cut for a fast break offense where they push the pace on every possession. They have guys running to the corner, spacing the floor. Um, and Joel Embiid wants to lead the league in post-ups. And Joel Embiid was the worst shooting big man from deep in the NBA last year. Of 22 yeah. players to attempt two or more three-pointers a game, uh, he was dead last in three-point percentage. So he doesn't ha- didn't space the floor particularly well last year. And he slows the pace down immensely. So I, I think those two guys, tremendous talents, both you know top 10 to 20 players, um, might be better off in the future running their own teams um, and having teams built around them. But that being said, they still have a lot of talent. Uh, I still wonder, you know, is Markel Fultz going to be completely in there? Does Dario Tassarich take a step forward? Is Robert Covington the regular season or postseason version of himself? Again, I think a very good team. I don't think they're far behind the Bucks. You know, I have them at 48, 49 wins, but I have them four right now. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting um perspective on Embiid and Simmons, um, especially because, you know, I think that's one of the things about Simmons. Everybody makes jokes about it, but expanding his range, uh, whether it be, whether it be to the three point line or at least mid range. Um, and you know, there was, there were signs that he could expand his shot to the mid range. Definitely last season, if he was really rolling, you'd see him sometimes sort of like a LeBron ish take those, you know, um, dribbles, dribbles sideways horizontally across the key and pull up from like a, for a moving mid range jumper. Um, he was okay at those. I mean, those, those things like that, that obviously he can work on. And I mean, this is only his second season and all that, but, but the Sixers do run a lot of their stuff out of the post, um, which is interesting because, you know, you have such a great playmaker in, uh, Simmons and, you know, if the ball's not in his hands, um, he's good at moving off the ball, which is great. Um, and he needs to keep doing that. Um, but he can't spread the floor at the moment. So, uh, it, it is a bit of a, a bit of a wonky fit, um, especially when you're trying to have, um, you know, Embiid just initiate a lot of stuff, whether it be actually um, making a or taking a post-up shot or looking looking to move the ball from the post into some sort of set play. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree that it is kind of weird. Um, and I think if, if those two don't, I mean, Embiid, obviously, he's got a lot of the full package right now already. Um, I think... He can continue to work on some things like uh, three-point shooting, whatever. I mean, yeah, you can keep working on that, I guess, if you want. But I think passing is the most important thing for him at this stage. And um, I I think if they're able to make some of those big leaps in their games and and add things, then um, the fit will obviously become better. Um, But as things stand right now, yeah, it's weird. The Sixers are so good just because of their raw talent, but they are probably the most flawed team uh, at the top of the Eastern Conference, and yeah, there's just there's a lot of concerns about them. They're one of the teams where if you're going into a playoff series against them, unlike with Boston and Toronto, um, you have specifics that you can point to and say, okay, this 
they can't do this or they don't do this well. Um, this is what we're going to exploit. It's not so easy with Boston and Toronto. They can cover those things up much better, whatever it is you're trying to get them to do. But uh, Philadelphia can't exactly. And um, I wouldn't say they had a fantastic summer. Like you mentioned, they lost Bellinelli and Eliasova. Um, they did bring in uh, Wilson Chandler, but um, you know, I, he's had some trouble staying on the floor for uh, a large part of his career. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I think one of the biggest things there is faults, like you mentioned. Uh, did you see that? You watched last night, right? Did you see that Simmons lob off the glass? I did, and everyone loved it. And I mean, it's a fun play, but that's a play in the NBA. It's junk to me. Like that's a junk, broken play where you know you're wide open. What was that? Twenty feet, eighteen feet from the basket. (laughs) Yeah, just pull up. You know, like that. That that's that would be the play for most players. Like it's awesome that he made it, and it was fun play, but that's a broken play, and it's not like I'm. Oh man, he can add that to his repertoire. Nah, like come on, guys. (laughs) Yeah, he's not going to be doing that in many NBA games. Um, (laughs) I mean. Yeah, it is. It's kind of weird. It's something to think about how that was his first instinct was, okay, I have nowhere to go. Um, there's nobody around me really here. I'm going to lob it off the glass and go that way instead of pulling up. <laughs> that really tells you something. Um, yeah. Just about, <laughs> just about his thought process, yeah. He's, like, he's an amazing player. He's so good. And I'm, I, I feel like I'm being cynical or critical, but again, like I think he's honestly probably in the top 20 already. And but like the, the shoot the three, you coward um, <laughs> gimmick that the Celtics fans pull him. Yeah, I mean it, it's there. Like you know, you're you're a one one. You're a number one pick, man. And and you've had really this is your third year um, of NBA expertise and, and shooting help and training and, and like just seeing that play to me was like wow. He's still lacking the confidence here in year two slash three to, to to pull up from that. So I. A great, amazing play. He's an amazing talent, but yeah, there there are kinks there, and I like how you put it with, you know, with Boston and Toronto, you know, there is no clear, evident weakness with Philadelphia. There are things that you can clearly attack and target and look for, and um, yeah, that's that's going to stick out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, although, and you know, it's funny. It's like I thought. I mean, preseason's the time for this stuff, right? Like, if he was going to be um, practicing just going out there and shooting a lot of threes or even just a couple, like, you think preseason would be the time to do it because none of this really matters a lot um, for those for that guy, those guys. Obviously, it obviously matters for training camp invites and stuff like that. But it doesn't matter for Simmons. I mean, if he wants to go out there and launch some threes just to see how it goes, I mean, this would be the time to do it. Um, so I was a little surprised he didn't. But um, on the other hand... One of the other guys who looks like his confidence is uh, just soaring back is Markel Fultz. Um, man, he had a fun night last night. What'd you think of him? Yeah, he looked good. His, his um, you know, there's the one jumper there that it stuck out. It looked, it looked pretty fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I saw. I didn't watch the whole Philly game. I did watch most of the Boston Charlotte game. I didn't see him attempt a three. I don't remember if he did. Um, but, I mean, so. he's fast. That wingspan is is incredible. He is a solid athlete. I mean, this is a guy who knowledgeable draft people were comparing to Dwayne Wade and Damian Lillard. And, you know, if he gets anywhere close to either of those guys, he, he takes this Philly team to another level. So it'll be interesting to see him, you know, now feeling good. And, you know, the players, Tribune piece and all the shooting videos. Like, it would be nice to see him get some actual game time action so I don't have to see his name trending and it's a video of him shooting free throws in an open gym or some crap. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah, he actually made some free throws last night in a real game. 
Unreal. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I'm happy for him. I'm I'm pulling for him. I hope he um, has a really good <clears throat> season. Um, he was fun last night. Obviously, scrappy. Had that chase down block that was really fun. Um, has that patented spin move that he goes to like a lot, a lot. Um, yeah, he hit a jumper. Um, moved well off the ball. Um, He's really good at moving along the baseline when whenever somebody penetrates a defense. Every time Ben Simmons like is able to get into the paint, he's all Markel's already on the move and it's usually down along the baseline and he's just cutting right to the hoop and Simmons finds him every time. Um, that's that's cool. That stuff's nice. Um, some other things like defensively, he still dies on screens a lot. Those are things to watch out for. But in general, yeah, I mean, you know, so this is pretty much be his first real NBA season. So um, I'm looking forward to that and he's going to be obviously a key cog with. Um, you know, considering the players they did lose, um, and if he is able to really get back to spreading the floor for them, um, that's you know that was the idea of picking him in the first place. Is he he be able to do things like that? Um, yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, something to keep an eye on, and he'll be really fun to watch. Um, oh yeah, and real quick on this team too, I just wanted to mention um, Robert Covington. Man, can people stop with the Covington sucks thing? Because like he's really good. He's really good. There's only a few 3 and D guys in the NBA that I think that you'd want over him, probably. He had a bad series against Boston, um, but for the most part, his season overall was really good. Um, I, I, I have no idea why people are hating on Covington. Do you know why? He just had a really bad postseason. I think, yeah. like, you know, that's it. And, I mean, it, Philadelphia, it, it's, it's one of those fan bases that just, like, over the top all the time. Mm. So when he's good, he's good. When he's... You know, when he's good, he's not just good. He's he's a superstar role player. He's the next Draymond Green. When he's bad, he's junk and it's a terrible contract. So, you know, he had a bad postseason. Um, ben Simmons had a bad postseason. Well, the second half of the postseason. They didn't win. They were young. It was their first time, I would say, getting to the second round of the playoffs. That early was a win for their franchise on the whole. Um, I'm not really worried about him, though. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel the same. Um, so, yeah, anybody listening to this who's um, on that Roco hate just, yeah, get off that because, you know, it's silly. Um, all right. So I wanted to also one of the other uh, main aspects of this podcast, obviously, is talking about the writing part of, uh, you know, pieces and the actual process of it. Um, so I definitely wanted to get into that with you. Um, so, okay, so this piece in particular, for sure, since we're um, focusing on it, is uh, relatively short. Um, you're not being asked to go into too much depth here, clearly. Um, feels like you're writing for a sort of – more like the casual fan, is that right? Yeah, it, it definitely feels like, uh, you know, it, it's early. And um, yeah. as you probably know, like every editor is different. And I'm working with two two editors now who I've only really worked with um, on this one piece. And um, it's, it's just getting my bearings, I guess, now with Perform and with NBA Canada versus what I'm used to at Hoop and what I've done in the past, you know, at Fansided and Dime and, and other places. Um yeah, I, I think it was, you know, it, it's funny, uh, you know, I graduated from journalism and my younger sister is just getting into the program now, you know, eight years after I got out of it. Nice. And um, it's just changed so much, you know, like honestly, when I went there, there was three types of writing. There was news, there was features, and there was columns, and they didn't want anything else, and, and everything's just changed. And, and when this piece was actually pitched to me, not the other way around, which is different from Hoop, because at Hoop, you know, I'm, I'm assigning most of my own work. Mm. Um, it was like, we want a rock, paper, scissors format at the top of the East. And I was like, a rock, paper, scissors format. 
And they were like, yeah, like, you know, make the case that, you know, this team could beat that team and they could beat that team. And it's around about, you know, rock, rock, paper, scissors. And I was like, oh, you know, like that, that's kind of a cool idea. But huh. the, the, the way that we cater, um, we as in like a really big general hole here to, to the online reader is so different now. Like what, what do people want to read? And, um, you know, the idea sat well with me and I was into it because I think at the top of the East, there is some parody and I know that everyone has Toronto and Boston has one A, one B, but I could see a, a way where any of those four teams get to the finals. And, and honestly, I, I was tempted to almost throw in Indiana, but I was working with 750 words. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I definitely think it was more of a quick hitter and, let's just take a quick snapshot with LeBron gone and what this looks like and who's at the top. And, and, you know, I try to do that. Is that challenging for you? The quick hitter stuff? Like, do you prefer to really dig down into a specific subject or is the broad overarching, um, sort of piece and a different, different, uh, just a different way of going about it and fun and a nice change of pace or yeah. Do, which, which one do you prefer? I, like I, I am a believer in that, 95% of what you are writing, you should be able to say in a thousand words or less. Like I, hmm. I, one of my pet peeves is like, Oh, you know, Robert Covington shows improvement as a switcher in this defense. And I click on this piece to whatever blog. And it's like 2000 words with like 88 clips of him moving. And I'm like, I, I don't need this much to like, believe you, you should be able to land your plane in less time than this. So I, I don't mind writing the 750 or a thousand. Um, that said, sometimes like when when it's more of the opinion based stuff and it's the columns, I do like to go a little bit longer and, and put in a few more numbers and, and kind of support things. But I do think also like you know people people have goldfish memories and they click things quickly. And if you want them to read the whole piece, I think you know the numbers have shown us that if they have to scroll more than three times or whatever it is, that they're going to leave the site. So I, I I do want people to read everything that I'm writing. So I, it doesn't bother me in that regard. But I do think it, it, it definitely depends on what you're writing and, and who you're writing it for. Yeah, when I was with Fansided, um, that was one of the things they harped on a lot was, you know, you don't need to make your pieces too long because people aren't going to read them if they're super long. Um, there, there was a lot, of, a lot of times where they were like, you know, 500 words is fine. If you can do something really succinct and get your point across in 500 words, which is really short, by the way. Um, I mean, I, and the max was sort of, um, there was no limit on it on pieces, but um, the ideal space was sort of 750 to 1,000, like you're saying, um, that people would actually sit down and read the whole thing because, um, yeah, you know, we live in a different time now, a different culture where um, everybody is, has access to a lot of information and they read a lot of things every day and they go through things quickly and there's a lot more skimming and scanning things than there is of actually reading it a lot of the time, I think. Um, you know, you go in and you look for the important stuff you want to find out, you pick it out. Um, and then you go, okay, so this is what I need to know. And then you move on to the next thing because there's so much stuff being thrown at you online, um, that that's just the way it goes. So, uh, it's an interesting thing for writers to have to tackle. Um, and it definitely does depend on what you're writing. Like you're saying, um, like I, I always want the obviously long form, you know, the feature pieces, like you can write as long of a piece uh, on, with those kind of things to me if you want um, as long as it's interesting because like, I will read all that um, the feature stuff I, I think needs to kind of be longer that way otherwise I mean what else is going to be that long um, <laughs> and the analysis stuff you know yeah same sort of thing around you know 750 to 1000 and then uh, all the other stuff can be shorter um, it doesn't need to be super long so yeah it's definitely it's definitely uh, something to think about and keep in mind when 
on writing pieces. Um, so, it, it, I I think too. It's again, it's just different. Like, what yeah. what is journalism? Like, what is yeah. a good piece? What is a bad piece? And yeah. you know, credit to Fansided and to Michael Dunlap for like really opening my eyes coming out of journalism and being like a little bit more artistic and wanting to write these big, fluffy, long features <laughs> with you know. Yeah. As, as many positive words and quotes as I can shove in there. And it, it, he's like, no, this doesn't sell. This isn't real life. This mm-hmm. isn't the world. You aren't Lee Jenkins. And it's like, it, you know, I'm not Lee Jenkins. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> and I, I mean, the, catering yourself to the audience and to this, the changes in the industry, I think, is as important as your actual writing. Because, yeah. you know, it, for example, my, my hoop, uh, the annual Meg that we put out in uh, Christmas State Stadiums, uh, you know, we're, we're doing evergreen content and I was building an NBA hall of fame with like a lot of great contributors. And I'm really excited about it. Uh-huh. And it was, uh, 7,000 to 7,500 words is my wiggle room for space. Yeah. It's like, I mean, that's a ton of words and I was really excited and I needed more, Like I wanted more words because yeah. I'm writing about hall of fame players and there's lots to say and there's lots of players, but on a piece like this, where we're just trying to preview something quickly, you know, I, time and place, I guess is not honestly the quick answer. Yeah, definitely. Um, Journalism is definitely, definitely, um, it's just, like everything, it has to evolve and grow and change. Um, It's going to be interesting uh, for myself, I think. Um, I don't know if I mentioned on this pod or not, but I'm uh, returning to school briefly for, um, you know, to dip into sports journalism. So I'm interested, even just looking at, you know, courses now, um, there's some things that just weren't offered even like a few years ago that they've just stuck in there now because it's suddenly become important. Um, even even just social media related stuff about like, you know, how you want to make sure you're, you know, getting tweets across properly and things like that as compared to like, you know, you're sticking to writing uh, certain kinds of bylines for radio and things like that. Like, yeah, it, it's definitely adjusted. And um, as a writer, uh, moving with the times is um, important. And online, things just seem to be going so quickly. Um, I also wanted to ask, uh, what's it like writing for NBA affiliated publications? Like, are you, are you used to it now with how long you've been with HoopMag or do you sometimes feel pressure to be careful with, uh, what you're writing? Like, do you feel extra self-conscious that, you know, you're writing for an NBA affiliate? Um, there are days, like when I started, like genuine, genuine anxiety constantly, like every time. I was sitting um, submit or emailing in a copy. There was like fear in my heart with with who started. Like <laughs> if I didn't get a if it didn't go up in the next couple of days, or I didn't get an email back being like, "Can you fix this?" Or I was like, "They didn't like it. They're gonna let me go." Yeah, I, I suck. I suck at writing. Why am I even doing this? I'm never gonna make it. I'm never gonna make money in this industry. I'm just a stupid kid from Calgary. No one cares about basketball. Hockey's king and I mean that stuff hits you. This is this is not easy. This is this is hard, and um, you know there are a lot of people who are in this industry because of like cronyism or location. But there are also a lot of people in this industry who are amazing, and it's hard sometimes to read a Howard Beck or a Lee Jenkins and think, damn, shit, I'm not there. You know, and uh, I remember I put out a piece for Hoop my first year there on Kawhi Leonard, and I was really, really proud of this piece, and I really, really liked this piece. Or was okay. Actually, it might have been Carmelo. I can't remember who it was. But anyways, I really liked this piece. I felt really good about this piece, 
I spent some time on it. And the same day, Jenkins dropped a piece on the same player. And it was like, oh. man, oh, like, man. <laughs> on top of it, just like drowning out, like some of the traffic, it was just like, yeah. oh, of course your piece is so much better. <laughs> and the access you have, and like the quotes that you have, like just trump the stats that I can find. And, mm. um, it's, it's tough. Like, I think you're always evaluating yourself. Now um, I'm still kind of learning the boundaries of NBA Canada and like the new rules. Uh, little format things like hoop and and NBA Canada don't don't want the Oxford comma. And I'm an Oxford comma guy, so oh wow, I, I always try to fight with them on the serial comma for yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm also um, team Oxford comma, so I feel you. So that that was like a struggle for me at hoop for a year. Like I would always like slide it in somewhere and just miss it in my copy. And um, <laughs> it's like it's an ongoing joke now. I'm pretty good at remembering now, but. Um, so like just little things like that. And with NBA, you know, honestly, like, Hey, I took a lot of shots at Adam Silver last year. Um, and his lack of transparency, Baker, Oh, we don't think teams are really tanking. This isn't tanking. I'm going to close my eyes and pretend this isn't tanking, you know? And and now I'm, you know, a little bit more hesitant in in some regards because, you know, I don't want to to muddy the waters. So I I guess there's some consideration there, but on a whole, like, it's not like I'm working for, you know, the Toronto Raptors, the Dallas Mavericks where things are filtered or censored. Yeah, it's true. I I think, you know, it's, I think it's a bit of a a hallmark of a good writer, honestly, is to always be a bit of um, just anxious about what you're writing them. Um, the reception is going to be and stuff like because anything you write is personal and putting it out there is um, a big deal Um, you're putting out the words that are in your head um, and you know letting others read them and criticize them and everything like that it's uh sometimes it's it's really not easy um there's a there's a quote from one of my favorite writers um neil gaiman i don't know if i've mentioned this before on the podcast but if i have it doesn't matter it's a great quote um and he talks about, it's something like, um, you know, uh, writing is, you know, it's simple. You put one word after the other um, until you make a sentence and you keep going until you're done. It's that easy and it's that hard. And it really is. It really is that easy and it's that hard. We all have the same words. We all, you know, you just, it's how about you construct sentences and how you put things together. Um, and that gives us our own style and unique voice. And those, that's the really cool part. Um, but, you know, putting those sentences together and constructing that stuff, that's, you know, it's hard. It's hard, it's easy, and it's hard. Um, being a writer is great, and it's also awful. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic, and it's torturous uh, as both. Um, but, you know, I also, um, I, I, I even talked to people recently about um, the idea of imposter syndrome. I feel imposter syndrome a lot, and I think a lot of writers do. Um, do you ever get that still when you're writing uh, whatever it is you're writing? Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> not that so much this last season, but the season before where it was like layoff city and Sports Illustrated yeah. reduced their staff by 30%. And ESPN fired like every beat writer they had. And yeah. CBS made cuts and Yahoo made cuts and Vice Sports folded. And I'm just like, man. Why am I here? Why, like, why do I deserve to have a job? Why am I getting paid to write anything when there's so many great writers unemployed now, looking for work, reevaluating their future? Um, even Spencer Lund, who mm, yeah. you know as well on, on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, was my editor at Dime when I first got in as an intern, like really early in this game. And 
you know, like this guy, he, he, he built one of the bigger basketball brands on the internet. He, uh, is a grammar savant. He, you know, why is this guy unemployed and reevaluating his future with his wife and his kid? And if he wants to stay in this game, when, when I'm still writing, I mean, there is definitely some, like who, who, who am I to be here? Thoughts all the time. And you, you try to, uh, you know, like for, I guess, like I won't generalize. I, I, tr- I try to just take feedback and I ask, I still ask three years into, Hey, how am I doing? Uh, anything I can improve. What'd you think of that piece? Sorry, I don't mean to be a pain. I'm not trying to waste any of your time, but if there's anything I can do to get better, please let me know. And because like, I, I do want to know, like sometimes I'll throw a peach dispenser before I throw it to hoop or I throw it to the step back and I'll be like, Hey, what do you think of this piece? And I'll, I'll have written a paragraph where I'm like, oh, man, this movie reference is going to kill. You know, this wording here is going to kill. And he'll be like, who are you writing this for? There's like four people who are going to get this. Or like, this doesn't make <laughs> sense. Or, you know, and yeah. sometimes it hurts to hear that. But like just constantly trying to make myself better mm-hmm. and, and not slacking is kind of how I combat that. Did it take you a while to uh, come up with your own personal voice, I guess, in the MBA sphere, in terms of writing MBA stuff. I know it's different, writing different things are different because even for me, like I've always, for a while I struggled with it and now I think I've reached a pretty good balance. But um, when I write fiction and stuff like that, um, I have uh, a particular sort of voice for fiction. And then uh, when I write things like MBA articles, it's a little different. Um, still similar, which is why my, um, pieces are always kind of like stories in a weird way. And I use a lot of adjectives and I I can be a little flowery and stuff like that. Um, but you know, figuring out that voice, um, is one of the hardest things for a lot of writers. Did it take you a while to figure out exactly what you're going to sound like every time you sit down and write? Yeah, to be honest, like I, I think about this a lot and I still think I'm, developing it and working on it and i think like you i'm a bit fluffy lots of adjectives i love analogies i get so drawn into analogies and references and trying to connect with people as i'm writing you know like this guy gets me and he likes the same things i like and mm-hmm. um you know maybe maybe it's part of that imposter syndrome where i just want people to read my stuff and, and you know like the, it's kind of like i i just validation is still so important, which I wish it wasn't where I want them to think like, this guy's really funny. This guy's really smart. Like that line killed that banged, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like those, those, those comments mean so much to, to at least me. And you know, you get a lot of feedback on social media, like you're an idiot off the headline or kill yourself if they don't agree with whatever you said about their favorite player. And like, honestly, I can drown a lot of that out, but like that one comment once in a while, like where this, where someone like highlights a specific line still just absolutely makes my day more than anything else. Like more than, you know, driving a piece that gets a ton of traffic or, um, you know, but whatever else it could be, uh, getting that, that, that positive feedback once in a while is, is so specific. That positive specific feedback is so amazing. So like with my voice, I'm still always trying to remember, like, you're not supposed to, this is supposed to be for you. This is supposed to be for your, for your outlet. This isn't necessarily for every, every reader, but it is. And just kind of like managing what and who you're writing for always kind of bleeds into who I'm trying to be as a writer and my voice. And it's funny because I'm also teaching and and have gone back to school for education. Um, I sometimes, you know, get my girlfriend or or a colleague to read over the essays and they're like, "You're, you're not writing 
about LeBron James <laughs> driving down the court like a tank. <laughs> this is an academic essay. Take some of this out. And so like, I definitely see it in other formats where I'm like, okay, I do have a voice because it bleeds into everything else that I write. But at the same time, um, still, I still think it's a very fluid process. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I being quoted is really cool. Um, it's happened to me a couple of times. One of the neatest experiences for me was actually from uh, I I did some film reviews for um, last year for TIFF when I had access to all the short films and I did a preview piece for all the short films that were coming out. And um, one or two of them actually uh, pulled a couple of my quotes and used them for the films and marketing campaigns. Um, that was pretty wild. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah that's, it, that's- it's it, gonna be amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty surreal. I almost, I almost didn't believe it. Um, but yeah, pretty cool. All that stuff is is great. Um, we're pretty much out of time here, but um, I want to thank you again for coming on, Josh. I really appreciate it. It's awesome to have you on and talk to you. I want to have you on again for sure. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Um, yeah, you know, I my stuff goes up at Hoop and and now NBA Canada often. I'll be doing something for each of them. You know once or twice a week and uh, keep him busy. But honestly, uh, you know, I kind of previewed it earlier. Uh, the old Bill Simmons pyramid, what if we tiered the Hall of Fame? I did that. Um, I got a bunch of contributors who, like, I had no business getting to hop on with me. Justin Termini from NBA Radio, Howard Beck from Bleacher Report, uh, Harvey Ayrton, uh, Matt Moore, Adi Joseph. Like, I, I've, got a, I've got a group of about 20 guys who – who voted on this, and that's going to be in the actual print magazine that comes out Christmas Day. Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a far plug, but please do pick that up if you're in an NBA, fortunate enough to be in an NBA stadium. It'll be there, but if not, it'll be your chapters Indigo, uh, whatever major distributor um, following that. So I'm really excited to see, you know, 7,000 words uh, of my writing in a magazine and, and just being able to, to, to list those guys as part of a project I was involved with is very cool. Awesome. So definitely look forward to that. Keep your eyes up for that. Try and pick it up if you can. Um, you'll be able to find this podcast, the Writer's Right podcast, on Anchor.fm uh, or the Anchor app if you have that. And uh, on Apple Podcasts as well now. You can find it there. Um, you can also follow the podcast on Twitter at Writer's Right Pod. And uh, links to the episodes and my guest articles will be posted there. Until then, you can follow me at Howvolution on Twitter. And you can find my own online work at Raptors Republic. B-Ball Breakdown, and Scene Creek as well. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.